Y'all, when we read the news, uh, when we watch TV, um, and we see things like families uh, gassed in Syria, three dead in San Bernardino in a school shooting, uh, migrant workers who are exploited um, and abused, when we see these things, when we hear these things, it's easy for us to ask ourselves, uh, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Uh, That is a question uh, the book of Esther raises. Esther is a very disturbing story. Uh, It is a story that is brutally honest about the nature of our world. It is broken, it's bloody, and it's unjust. Last week we saw King Asuerus throw this outrageous party with drugs, right, with sex, with alcohol, uh, and all at the, his people's expense, right? He was doing this on their tax dollars. And after seven days of binging, the king uh, commands that his wife, right, the queen, be brought up to entertain uh, her guests, right, his guests, and her golden crown. Some commentators think that is all she was supposed to wear. Right? We don't really know. But Vashti refuses. Uh, she courageously says no to the king. And yet, the injustice continues. The spurned king kidnaps a bunch of young girls, teenagers, and he forces them into his harem. He forces them into sex slavery. And that is where our reading picks up today. Esther is forced into the harem uh, in in verse 2, 8. And then the king forces himself onto her in verses 15 through 16. When the turn came for Esther to go into the king, is the Bible's polite, somewhat subtle, somewhat graphic way of saying that it was Esther's turn to get raped. And he enjoys that so much that Esther, the sex slave, becomes Esther the queen. Sometime after uh, Esther's coronation, her uncle, Mordecai, uncovers a plot to murder the king. The would-be assassins themselves are executed. There's more blood. There's more guts. But a bad dude named Haman right, gets promoted in Mordecai's place. What's more, everybody is supposed to bow down and pay homage to Haman. And there's more unfairness here, more abuse of power, more unjust or injustice. Mordecai refuses this time. And he, right, he too says no. Uh, and sadly, right, the injustice continues. Haman drafts a plan to... Uh, to kill Mordecai, but not just Mordecai. Uh, It's a plan to kill all of the Jews. He is drafting up a final solution, right? The Holocaust before the Holocaust. The genocide of the Jews. That is what we are talking about. Genocide. Haman dupes the ignorant, incompetent Starboy King, right, into signing this executive order. And after signing this decree... They go out to eat at a fancy dinner while the city and their empire is thrown into utter chaos and confusion. 
This is the world, friends, that we are introduced to in the book of Esther. It's not a world unlike our own. It's our world. It is a corrupt and darkened place. A world so desperately in need of salt, right, to prevent against rot and decay. A world so desperate and so desperately in need of light to expose darkness and to shatter it. Note, too, that it is a world where God can seem so conspicuously absent. This is one of the things that makes the book of Esther really interesting. There are lots of injustices detailed uh, in the book of Esther, but there is no mention of God's name in this book. Not once is he mentioned in the book of Esther. And this is not an accident. It's not like the author wrote it. It's like, oh my gosh, you know who I left out? Like, that's not how this, like, just, just print it anyways, right? This is an intentional decision on the part of the author, right? He's deliberately communicating something. And I think that something is this. In a world of injustice, it can often feel that God has left the building, can't it? In a world of injustice, it can feel that God is not present, that he is absent, that he is invisible, that he is indifferent. In a world full of injustice, God can often seem this way, as absent. Right? That really is point number one of tonight's sermon. But just because uh, something or someone is not visible does not mean he, she, or it is not present. Invisibility is not the same thing as absence. Okay, that's point number two. Invisibility is not the same thing as absence. Okay, did you all know that there are seven billion, billion, billion atoms in one human body? That's a lot of atoms, but you can't see a single one. Right, there are 10 million uh, atoms in my fingernail, right, on my pointer finger. 10 million. You can't see atoms with the naked eye. And for millennia, we didn't even know these things existed. Right, but just because atoms are invisible to us does not mean that they are absent. Okay, they are ever-present. They're all around us all the time. Okay, one of my favorite stories, uh, really, in one of my favorite stories ever uh, involves uh, a woman named Katie Payne. Uh, Katie Payne uh, is an expert on whales and whale songs. Um, back in the 80s, the 1980s, she discovered that humpback whales don't just moan and groan like you've heard. They're not just, oh, I'm a whale. <laughs> That's not what they're doing. Whales are actually making music. Uh, They make up songs, and those songs can be heard played and replayed all across the ocean. Like they pick up riffs, and they will play it in other places. They make up songs. One day, Katie uh, was invited to Oregon um, to participate in a symposium uh, and to sort of share some of her findings. That week uh, at the Portland Zoo, uh, 
some el some baby elephants were born, uh, and she was given like a special pass to go and see the baby elephants and sort of play with them in the pen. But something odd happened every single time she went to uh, the elephant pen. Every time she went to uh, like the elephant cages, she she felt pressure in her ears, um, like her ears were going to pop. Uh, Payne knew from her studies that there are some animals that communicate, right, at pitches, sounds, uh, at frequencies, like subsonic frequencies that we can't hear with the naked ear, as it were. Um, so she had a hunch. She's like, go fetch some sound equipment and bring it in here. And lo and behold, right, she discovered that elephants communicate um, at a, at a frequency just below like the audible hearing range of humans. It, this infrasonic communication uh, can be heard over at least 110 square miles. And this is what, when I heard this, I'm like, okay, that's amazing. But it also got me thinking, right? Elephants have been on this planet for one and a half million years. That's what most people estimate. Human beings, Homo sapiens, 200,000 years. What this means is that for 199,970 years, we didn't hear this communication and we didn't know about this communication. But just because we didn't see it, just because we didn't hear it, just because we didn't know about it, doesn't mean it wasn't there. Elephants have been doing this for a long, long, long time. Right? It's an invisible reality, like this infrasonic communication. In the story of Esther, we don't see God's name. We don't see it once. And in the book of Esther, we don't hear God speak. But that does not mean God isn't there. He is. Right? He is there all along. And he's, frankly, he's here in this room right now. And just consider that for a moment. He is present. You weren't just singing to your friends. Right? You were singing to God just a few moments ago. And he heard you. Reading the book of Esther, turning on the evening news, it's fair to ask, where is God? But so is this question. Where are you? Where are you? You know, in a world full of injustice, I sometimes imagine God asking, I'm here, but where are my image bearers? I'm right here, but where are my image bearers? You know, in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, we are told that God made us, male and female, in his image. We were made in the image of God for the sake of imaging God. We were made to reflect him, to make him known, to make the invisible God visible. That's what it means to be a human being. And in a world full of injustice, I imagine God saying, where are you? You see, God never left the scene. If you read Genesis, like God didn't leave. Right? We did. We as a species, and you and I personally speaking, 
we have tried to live life on our own, to do it our own way, to be lords of our own lives. And consequently, the world looks the way that it does because of that, because we have decided to forget God and just do it on our own. That is why the world's broken. It's why the world is messy. It's why it is bloody. It is why it's lonely. But God does not leave us there in that condition. Right? God sent his son into the world to redeem us, to find us, and to bring us back home. God wants to bind up what is broken. He wants to heal what is hurting. He wants to bind up and heal you. But not just you, the people around you and the world around you. See, he wants to renew you in his image. He wants to make you fully human again. I want you all to picture, like, my hand is a mirror. Okay? When the mirror is facing you, when it is, as it were, in a face-to-face relationship, right, it reflects you. But you over here, if you were to look into the glass, you would see who the person's, what the mirror's facing. And this, we were meant, as mirrors, as persons made in the image of God, we were meant for a face-to-face relationship with God so that when others look at us, they're like, I see God in you. I see God in you. That's the way it was supposed to be. But see, we turned our, our, our face against God. We turned our backs on Him. And look, we're still mirrors. We're still made in His image. But we don't work right. We're not imaging him as we ought. And that is why Jesus came to turn us around, repent. This word repent means turn around. To turn around and to face God again. Right? To image him again. Right? So that others again could look at us and be like, I see God in you. And that we would reflect his face to the world. To reflect his face, his heart, his character. That is what it means to be human. To make the invisible God visible. Look, if you are turning around, if you are being renewed uh, in the image of God, if you're being renewed in the image of Christ, you can't help but be a force of justice in this world because you are imaging a God of justice. If If God is a God of justice and you are made in his image, you will be a force of justice in this world. Right? Gary, Fa- Gary Haugen, uh, the founder of IJM, uh, which stands for International Justice Mission, was once asked by a college student, what do you think is the most difficult thing for people in our world to believe about the Christian faith? And the answer came to him quickly. I think the most difficult thing for people to believe about the Christian faith in our world is that God is good because they are in so much pain. 25,000 kids will die today because their parents can't afford them nutrition. 1.5 billion people have no access to medical care. And 1 million new children are forced into sex slavery, like Esther was, every single year. 
how are they supposed to believe that God is good? Haugen asks. He says, and I quote, what, well, what is God's plan for making his goodness believable? Right? To a world filled with so much heartache and pain. What is God's plan for making his goodness believable? Right? To a world filled with so much pain. The answer from, from scripture is startling clear. God's plan for making it believable is us. His people. Now, I could quibble with him that he ought to have a different plan for this, and I really would suggest that most of the time, but there can be no doubt about what his plan is. In fact, remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that men, when they see your good works, will give glory to your Father who's in heaven. He doesn't say you might be the light of the world, not you could be the light of the world, not I sure hope you turn out to be the light of the world. He says to us, you are it. In chapter 3, or excuse me, in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Mordecai comes to Esther and he says to her, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Where is God? That's a fair question. But Mordecai is asking Esther, where are you? We need you. Where are you? God's asking, where are my image bearers? Where are my image bearers here on earth? Look, when we move out of our comfort zones and we move towards a world full of injustice in order to bring hope, to bring healing, in order to bring justice to bear... The invisible God is made visible. When we, right, the world, right, his church, also known as the body of Christ, when we show up clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, protecting the marginalized, the invisible God is made visible. This brings me to my final point. The sins that you have committed and the sins that have been committed against you do not disqualify you from service in God's kingdom. Your woundedness is not a barrier to God working in you and God working through you. God came in order to heal you. And God intends to employ you in the healing of the world around you. I mean, I want you to look at Esther. Here is this kid, really. She's a teenager. And she is kidnapped and she is forced into sex slavery. She is the victim of incredible uh, injustice. And God hates what happened to her. But God can redeem anything. And he can redeem anyone. There is no situation that is so bad that God is like, I can't fix that. And there is no one person who is so awful that he's like, I can't heal you. There is no one person, there is no one thing that is irredeemable. 
So even though Esther has been put in this horrible situation, she's been compromised, she's the victim of injustice, that same one, that same Esther, can be a force of justice in the world. She can stop a genocide from happening, and she does. And look, you can be a force of justice too. God, there is nothing that disqualifies me. Who knows, right, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? What does this look like? Well, I think it looks like a girl recovering from an eating disorder, coming alongside others who struggle in the same way, helping them and supporting them on their own path to recovery. I think it's a former alcoholic mentoring someone in AA and being a friend and a support to that person. I think it's an ex-gang member who starts an after-school program for kids in the inner city so they can be rescued from violence. I think it's a man freed from slavery becoming a lawyer so that he can be an advocate for others who are held in bondage. I think it's you at this university learning what you can learn so that when you leave this place you can be salt and light in the places where Christ has called you to be in the world but not of it. To be different for goodness sake. To be a counterculture for the common good. Look, next week we're, we're going to flush that out some more. We're going to finish and wrap up our study of the book of Esther. But tonight I want to just leave you with this. In a world full of injustice, where is God? Where are you? Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Let's pray. <clears throat>